0: would encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We are in the the final sermon of this series. I've always wanted to hear a sermon on, and the title, uh, the topic in view today is Heaven. Heaven is in view, and boy, what glimpses of glory we have all throughout the Scriptures that are given to us, and uh, it's my prayer that today, as we consider these things, they will not just be out there but they will impact the way that you leave this place today to call you forward, to live with an eye for what is coming and that we would be pure and righteous, obedient children, walking upright, depending upon the Lord as we wait for Him to come and usher in this glory. So our anchor text is going to be verse 7. Let me begin in verse 4, though with the backdrop of our total depravity, our complete inability to save ourselves, lost in our sins, dead and dying, hell-bound, willfully so, God, I love the transition, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us, there's his work, he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. It means that we don't deserve it and we didn't do it, right? By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Why? Purpose statement here. So that, this is is the push, so that In the coming ages, look at the the progressive unfolding nature of the wording. In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is the kind intention of God to reveal his glory to us, a glory connected inseparable so from the gospel, of what He has done to save us in Christ. And that display is going to come in 10 million different ways over more than 10 million different days. The ages, progressive revelation. And so, buckle up. I mean, friends, in Christ, because of what He has done, we are in store for mind-blowing glory of God. Revealed not just in the person of god but in his works in what he does the the things that he creates the things that he he shows us about who he is and his capability in what he does both in what is seen now but certainly far more after the curse has been dealt with and removed so Let's talk about heaven. I'm not gonna spend time talking today about eschatology. That tends to be what happens when you get a question about you know, heaven and, and, and the, the end times. Uh, my goal here today is after all of those events unfold, what happens then? What's the end of redemption, the fullness, the consummation of it all? Well, until we get to that place, there is what I'm referring to as the... Uh, Uh, what did I call this, the layover, the layover, the intermediate state. This is where you go today if you die. You go to heaven. This is what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. What's he saying? Well, He's saying that if you die today, you are immediately in the presence of God, although your body is laid to rest in the ground. Now, we can take this too far to conclude that heaven and the fullness of the future in heaven is without a body. Some people even treat the body that way. They say, just get rid of it, man. Be done with this earthly shell. Bury it in the ground. Let's go be with the Lord forever. That's not the fullness of the plan. God has a plan for your soul and for your body. So, initially, we have souls with God in his presence. In fact, Jesus said this to the, uh, the thief on the cross, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Paradise. So, Christians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord in the fullness of joy. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So there is no sense in which you you, you are transported in in, in immediate fashion to the presence of the Lord, and you're like, oh man, I was hoping for more. You're not going to feel that in the slightest. However, It is not the final experience. It is a layover because your soul is intended by God to be united with your body, your physical body, and there's a future reunion that's about to occur. So those who are in heaven right now, we would refer to as disembodied souls. They are there with God fully. Aware, alive, not at soul sleep, not floating around and, and uh, you know, playing a harp on a cloud somewhere. Actual, conscious, fullness, joy, but their bodies are laid to rest here, waiting for the resurrection. Now, the question then begs, what do you do while you wait? Or the question that I get asked sometimes, can those who are in heaven watch our lives now? I believe they can. I believe they can. Here's why. The drama of redemption is such a display of the glory of God. Day, It's in real time. You can witness God with full perspective and awareness of his work as he is doing his work. And Why would we not want full view and witness and experience of that work as it unfolds? The angels, they're involved in that, right? They're sent and commissioned by God to help and aid and assist. And so I think the souls of those who are in glory are enraptured with the glory of God in part because they witness His work to answer prayer, to make dead people alive in Christ, to rescue and save and redeem a glimpse of this, just so, Jesus says in Luke 15, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 self-righteous uh, who need no repentance, basically, is what he's saying. So who, whose joy? I believe those who are with the Lord, who are witnessing this work of God, this miracle take place, not just the angels, but I think also the saints. The souls. Listen to Revelation, the souls of the martyrs. I saw under the altar the souls. Don't, don't miss this, not bodies. Somehow he's able to see them, though, and they're able to speak. So we don't there's there's mystery here. We don't understand how it all works, but these are souls of people who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out, humbly so, not complaining. But longing, these are their words, with a loud voice, Oh, sovereign Lord. You see the, the re- regard they have for God, the sovereign one, holy and true. How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Their longing is for justice, for retribution, the fulfillment of righteousness by God. And why would they cry out like this? I believe, as they witness the unfolding, injustice, the things that are taking place. Now, some people say, look, if, if, if those up there are looking upon us and, and, and really watching our lives, they would be so sad, and I just don't think so. The perspective of all that God is doing would change the way you witness it. It may, in fact, be that you see things that are horrible and terrible, but you see them in the perspective of his overarching plan and work, and you celebrate his work, his goodness, his faithfulness in those things. The other text I would point to for this comes in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 11 is referred to as the hall of faith. It is a display, one person after another, of people who have run the race of faith all the way through the tape, Never letting go of Christ, holding on, persevering, trusting Him, obeying Him. And then Hebrews 12 speaks of these words Therefore, since we, believers, are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run. You see the image He's painting? It's of a race. Like we're in the Olympics here. We're on the track together. We're running a marathon on the track. And in the stands are the witnesses of those who have run the race before us. Who do we look to as we run this race? We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now some would say that the witness of uh, those in the stands is Hebrews 11, their lives, their faith that they lived in, in faithfulness. I would agree with that, but I think there's more to it than that. I think they cheer us on. I think they're rooting for us. I think they celebrate our success. And they trust the Lord as we depend upon Him. They celebrate God's answers to our prayers and all of these things. Now, lest we fall into any kind of ancestor worship, we need to be clear. We're not praying to Grandpa. Okay? That is not what I'm suggesting. We pray... We look, we depend upon whom? It's right there. Jesus. He's the object of our faith. He's the focal point. When we think, run through the tape, we see Him. That's what we long for most. As they cheer us on, they're saying, keep your eyes on Jesus. That's, I think, the call of the witnesses who have gone before. So, yeah, I I think they they can watch and, and cheer us on. And someday maybe we'll be up there cheering on the generations that follow us. Now we move from the intermediate state to the eternal state. So after the rapture, after the seven years of tribulation, after the Lord Jesus himself bodily returns to establish his millennial kingdom on this earth, and a thousand years go by, after the great white throne judgment where uh, the the, uh, devil is released from the pit, makes war, and then Armageddon happens, and Jesus crushes his enemies, final peace is accomplished, the 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 evil and and uh, evildoers and satan they're all thrown into the lake of fire after all of that happens then the eternal state the new heavens and the new earth that's where we're going to go and spend our time today just to orient us in the uh, the frame of reference of eschatology this is what we say in our statement of faith we believe and teach That all mankind, both saved and lost, will share in a literal, physical resurrection. The lost to everlasting, conscious torment in the lake of fire. Which, by the way, Satan is in there with them. He is not Lord of hell. He is tormented in hell. Hating every second he spends there. And the saints. The other group the saints, to everlasting conscious joy and blessedness with the Lord in a newly created heavens and earth. That's what I want to spend our time kind of building out for us today. Revelation 21 and 22 give us a lot of material here. I would encourage you to go home and read these chapters. Read all the verses of these chapters. I don't have time this morning to do all of that but they are filled with this eternal state experience that we are anticipating. Here's a little bit from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. This is the point where the fishermen are like, oh man, what? We can't fish in glory? I don't know. Maybe there's lakes or something. I don't know what that means. There's mystery here. We don't know how it's all going to look. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Do you see how it comes down together? Heaven and earth meet. They're brought together once again forever. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. It's not just a longing that we sing about at Christmas time, Emmanuel, God with us. It's not just 33 years of incarnation. It is eternity face to face with King Jesus as He rules and reigns over a kingdom where there is no darkness, no sin, No death, no curse. Now, the plan of redemption is focused on the saving of sinners, but it is not limited to that. In fact, the work of Jesus on the cross is more than that. It accomplishes all kinds of things. His victory there accomplishes what Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 8. For the creation itself waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Think about that. That's us. That's us. Creation is waiting. It's groaning. It's longing to see believers glorified. The new heavens and new earth. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain, listen to this phrase now, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This Creation is connected to believers, to our redemption. I like how Randy Alcorn in his book on heaven, excellent book by the way, get that book, read it, so good. He says, creation fell under the curse on our coattails. We brought it down with us. We rebelled and and creation itself was subjected to futility. Consider this. When you see the glory of a sunrise, the beauty of an intricate flower, the amazement of your pet who's happy to see you after a long day, futility. There's still glory there. But it's a diminished glory. Think of what it will look like when that is lifted. So, just as creation followed us down in the curse because of our sins, so too creation will rise on our coattails and be set free from this bondage and its corruption. What is that going to look like? Let's consider a few of those things as we go through this morning. I want you to think two words here, two words. As I studied, I was struck by these two words. One, newness. There are going to be radically new things that we can't even conceive of that we experience in this future. New heaven, new earth. It is, in in many ways, it's going to be brand new, but it's also this word, continuity. There's going to be familiarity, continuity to many of the things that we experience in this life on this earth right now just as your body will be raised and equipped for eternity so too god will equip his creation for eternity so when you think about going to heaven don't ever think that's the that's the long time place that's not the arrival place that's just temporary your long term existence like right, your arrival city as it were is the earth Real trees, real grass, real dirt, real flesh and bones, actual breathing of air, right? Not just some ethereal, ghost-like experience up here. This is our future. Newness and continuity. You'll see these words show up as we move through answers to some of these questions that have been asked. No separation from God, no sin, no curse, no death. Can you imagine going skydiving Being confident that you can't die? Hey, bring it on, man. I'll do it then. I'm not going to do it now. No fear, no brokenness, no guilt, no shame, no darkness, no chaos whatsoever, no enemy. You can't even conceive of life like this, right? I mean, this changes how we think of everything. Hmm. So who will be there? Who will be there? Twelve questions to answer and build out from the text. Who's going to be on this new earth that God makes? Answer, billions of sinners saved by God's sovereign grace through Jesus Christ. Billions. Almost so many that you can't even number. Although, maybe then we could because of our capacity. Billions of sinners be it that no one will be in glory who is not a sinner except for Jesus Christ. And he wasn't a sinner, right? Saved by the sovereign grace of God, saved through the work of Jesus Christ. All of us will share this in common. And there will be some, as promised, as elected before the foundations of the world, some from every nation, tribe, and language or tongue. Every people group will have representation on the new earth in their story he chose that's the father he chose he elected he then assigned the destiny predestined uh, those whom he did that for those whom he predestined he also called that means called to life from the dead he made them alive and those whom he called to life he declared righteous he justified them how in christ in christ and every single person who was justified by God, is also glorified. That means that the number that was set before the foundations of the world in the electing work of God to that exact number, that will be the population of the new earth for all time. No one will be lost. I will lose nothing of all that the Father has given to me. But I will raise it up on the last day. That's our future. He is going to bring it to pass. What about miscarried and aborted babies? What about young children who die? What about severely mentally impaired people who have no cognitive ability to even engage in any real sense of the way the gospel at all? How is it possible maybe that those people will be there too? Absolutely. I believe so. Think of this. 25% of pregnancies end in miscarriage. One out of four people, people that are created by God die in the womb. We've experienced this in our own family. It's tragic. It's heartbreaking. Is that an accident though? Is God like completely distracted and unaware of this massive number of people who die before ever even making it out of the womb? No, he knows exactly that number, and I believe he is the one who is at work creating and ordaining and saving. Ten million perinatal deaths occurred. So either uh, uh, just before pregnancy, during pregnancy, or just after pregnancy. Ten million People die every year in this place. Where are they? They're in glory. 42 to 50 million, I think the number is actually much higher. Aborted babies, murdered children every year. Now do the math. Add that up. We're talking tens of millions of people who are every year populating heaven every year how can this be well we believe that god is sovereign in salvation he is able to save he is not restrained or constrained by the the will of man he can say i save you i save you i save you and he can do so as he chooses that is his freedom do these Children need saving. Absolutely, they do. We are conceived in sin. We carry the sin of Adam with us. And so we do need Christ. The question is, can God set that salvation on us? We believe He's sovereign at this church. Absolutely, He can. He can. Another reason I believe this is possible is because of Romans 1. Romans 1 reads that there is a reality that is, that is made clear. The word clear. It's clear to us through the creation of God's world, that God exists and that He is powerful. We learn about His nature, and it is clear such that we are without excuse. We cannot say, God, I didn't know you existed. We cannot say, I didn't know you were glorious. We are without excuse. We have enough information of God from creation to damn us to to hell forever. That's the reality, that's what Paul's saying. We are without excuse. And here's what we do with that information. We suppress it we push it down we rebel against god we actively run and rail against him that's our instinct that's what we do but what if you never see enough of the world to be without excuse this is what i think is possible of 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 what god is doing in his grace god is a just god He applies his justice with the fullness of all of our situations, and it it may differ. So we talk about the age of accountability. That is, I think, a, a good way to describe this age where you have an awareness or cognition of God and who he is, and you reject him. You suppress him. You rail against him. If you die before that, then I think That God can set upon you a salvation, take you to himself, and show you marvels, the marvels of his grace throughout eternity. All in Christ, lavished upon us. So, be encouraged, friends. Heaven is going to be populated to a degree that we can't even conceive of right now. Billions upon billions of people. Number two, what will we look like? What will we look like what is sown, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, what is sown, the seed of our body, well, that's perishable. But what is raised at resurrection time is imperishable. Well, it's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's, it's sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. The body that Jesus Christ had after his resurrection, is referred to as the first fruits of the dead. He's the first resurrected man. His body is is like that of which we will have someday. And so we can see this. Job even prophetically speaks these words in Job 19. For I know that my Redeemer lives. He's talking about Jesus. He just didn't know his name at that point. And at last he will stand Upon the earth, that's return. After my skin has been thus destroyed, that's not just the boils he's referring to. He's talking about death, worms, right? Dust to dust, ashes to ashes. After my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh, flesh and bones, I shall see God, resurrection. Job spoke of these glorious realities. He knew that we are more than just souls. We are body and soul. And so the future for us is the united uh, experience of body and soul once again, remade, brought together, imperishable, equipped for eternity. And I would say this, fully recognizable. The questions came up, are we gonna recognize one another? Absolutely. They recognized Jesus, right? Remember on the road, it was kept, his His person, they didn't recognize him because their eyes were kept from seeing him. And then at the moment he revealed himself to them, they saw him, they knew exactly who he was, and he disappeared from their sight. So yes, you will be recognizable, but you will be perfected in every way. Perfected in every way. You will have the full capacity of your brain, which you only use a small portion of right now. According to science, that's true. We don't use a lot of the noggin that God gave us to use. In glory, full capacity. It's all on. And full memory. We will recall with precision all of these experiences we've had. You won't have to bump into someone on the new earth and be like, oh, what was your name again? I'm trying my hardest. What was it? You will know if you've met them before. And once you meet them, you will remember. full senses. Think of this. We have five now. Maybe we'll have ten then. Who knows? God can do that. Maybe the color that we're able to see will grow tenfold in spectrum. Maybe the, 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 the sense of taste and smell so limited and given to futility by the fall will be lifted and engaged at levels that we can't even conceive of right now. Full strength. No scars, no disabilities, no wheelchairs, no brokenness, no casts or limps or bad knees or war injuries. None of that. It's all gone. The reason I know this is because we see this in the way that Jesus healed while he was here on earth as well. He didn't heal part of the way. He healed all of the way such that the guy who had never walked jumped up, grabbed his mat, for joy. He wasn't atrophied. He was strong and ready to run. No fallen inclinations, no limitations of sin or curse whatsoever. We can't even begin to conceive of this because we live in a world that is so defined by these realities. It's hard to think beyond them. How old will we be? Here's another good example of these these limitations. I would just say this. Our age is not accurate already. We're already off. We're nine months off. Why, why do we start age when you're born, right? I get it, okay, you're born. But we should start from that point Add nine months, right? We're already uh, marking it cor- incorrectly. So how old will we be? Um, we tend to define age in two categories, either development or decay. So a five-year-old, we go to the five-year-old and we say, hey, little buddy, how you doing? What are you learning, right? C- can you do this yet? You see what we're saying? We're, we're understanding where he's at with the limitations of his development. But to a 95-year-old person, we're like, whoa, how you doing? Can you hear me? Can you see? Like, I mean, you're right, it's decay. We live, and we even mark age this way. Someone was telling me earlier this week, man, I turned 50, I, I am feeling it. It's closing in. No more of that. No more of that. Frankly, it won't really matter how old you are. It doesn't matter. There's no limitation of age whatsoever. You're not going to have someone ask you when you're 2 million years old, how you doing, and be like, oh man, my back is killing me. I gotta, I'm feeling like Yoda here, you know? No, it's not like that. You will be as chipper as you were when you were 200 years old or 2,000 years old. It's just, age is almost... Not a deal. How old were Adam and Eve when He made them? Well, they were old enough to obey the commands. They were old enough to marry, old enough to procreate. There was no stroller in the garden. There will be no stroller in heaven. There's no walker with the little tennis balls that you push around in glory. No more of those, thankfully, right? No limitations of age. If we're going to mark age in, in any way, I would suggest mark it from the moment He saved you. So last night, we celebrated Gracie's 10th spiritual birthday, the, the day that, she, that God saved her. We mark that each year. We have a special meal. She tells the story of what God did when he saved her. That She's 10 years old then, into her eternal life. You see? That's a good way to, to track age in glory. What emotions will we feel? This is a great question. The question came, uh, how are we going to feel anything besides just happiness? Is, is there other things we'll feel? I think so. Jesus said this, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Oh, I love those words. I long to hear those words so badly. Someday, friends, the welcome and the the giving of interest only through Jesus Christ. This is the only way this is possible. Welcome, well done. Enter into the joy. Enter into my kingdom satisfaction forever. We will feel perfect satisfaction and joy, perfect love and peace. There will be no insecurity, no fear or concern that it's going to fade like the glory on Moses' face. It's not going to fade. Like when you go to the Grand Canyon for the first time and you are just blown away in awe, and then the tenth time you're like yeah i've been here before it's not like that in glory you will have the fullness of joy forever god will continue to blow your mind day after day after day perfect memory and perfect perspective the reason i think uh, we will have perfect memory is that the glory of god is given as much in the contrast as it is in the joy right Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I remember who I was. Look at what he did. You see what I'm saying? The memory is not to our shame, our guilt, our condemnation. The memory is to his glory. We will remember the contrast of the black backdrop of sin and darkness against the perfections of God and his grace forever. The reason I think that's true as well It's because of the scars our Savior will carry in His hands, in His brow, in His side, in His feet. Those are the reminders of a past, a glorious salvation He has accomplished for us. Those will be eternally present. Will it spoil our joy if our loved ones are in hell? This is a weighty question. I think all of us can probably identify some family members or good friends that are running breakneck to the fires of hell or are already there. Is it the ultimate killjoy when you get to glory and you know that your family member is not there? The answer is no. It isn't. Listen to the tender mercy of God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. It's not a command, hey, stop crying. It is a love, an intimacy, an up close, wiping every tear away. Death will be no more. There shall be no more mourning. There's your answer. No more mourning, grieving. No crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Randy Alcorn said it this way, we will never question God's justice, wondering how He could send quote-unquote good people to hell. That's not going to be a concern of ours in glory. Rather, we will be overwhelmed with His grace, marveling at what He did to send bad people, sinners like us, to heaven to walk the forever streets of His blessing. One of the reasons God has ordained that there would be the darkness in our experience is to show the full range of His glory. And His glory is also displayed in His justice and His recompense, His wrath. God is glorious in these things as well. This is not an accident. Eden wasn't a mistake. He wasn't surprised like, oh, whoops, that really didn't go the way I was hoping it would go crazy snake, you know, no, this was plan A. He ordained, before let there be light was spoken, he ordained and chose to save a certain specific group of people. How? By the shed blood of his son for their sins. This was his kind intention from before there was time. And this is plan A, and it is working itself out. The justice and mercy of God is His glory, and eternity will display that. And it says, even in the book of Revelation, that the saints will rejoice upon the judgment of God. Now, that's hard for us to conceive of now because our hearts are so woven in in longing to see salvation come. But part of the glory of eternity is displayed in mercy and justice. Now, will we know everything? Will we know everything Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, for now we see in a mirror dimly, and we all can agree. Yes, that's true. We do. We don't see fully. But then, face to face, someday, no more of this dark, this clouded experience, clarity coming. Now he says, I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. A a word there that we could use is truly or accurately, not exhaustively. It is impossible let's just say it. it's impossible for us to know everything we are finite creatures we cannot that's part of who we are by the creation of god we are not god only one can know all things and that is the infinite god who is he knows all things and he is infinitely glorious and this is good news because as we discover the glory of an infinite god we delight and that's our occupation forever. We will, on a day, discover the amazing glory of God, and then we'll do it all over again throughout all of eternity. There won't be anything that's lacking, but we will never fully explore Him. We can't. He's that great, and our our minds just can't conceive of how big that God who loves us is will we experience time will we experience time Uh, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time will be no more wrong wrong that hymn needs to be adjusted friends time is never going away you are a finite creature I would say it this way if you have a beginning you will always have time now it may be marked differently but we are not those who can live outside of time like God. He is the only one, the infinite God, who created space and time, and He can enter in or be outside of it. We're not God. We're finite creatures. We exist in the restraints and constraints of substance, which means there's always a point along the way where you look back and say, I started. Uh, And you may mark it differently, but we exist. And the, the wording that I like to use is succession of moments. So in glory, when we worship our glorious Savior, we'll start singing a song. And then we'll finish it. And we'll be aware of what took place. The, the, the flow of moments has passed. That is a glorious reality. And uh, We know that there won't be any night, so our solar system is going to be different some way or another. We're going to track it probably differently than we do now. But the reality is is that time is is going to be made up of succession of moments. And here's a little glimpse that we have into this. Uh, Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me a river of water, the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. Each month. There is a a, a clear, established amount of time labeled and tracked, right? The fruit of this tree There's 12 kinds of fruit and it's it's going to bear this fruit, differing fruits in the month. So, somehow or another, maybe it's a a month of 28 days or 31 days or 3,000 days, I don't know, but it's a month on the new earth. Time is our experience forever as finite creatures. What language will we speak? Here's an interesting thought. What language did Adam and Eve speak? Uh, Did they have to get... uh, the Rosetta Stone out and be like, okay, hold on, honey. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, Rosetta Stone. No, they spoke. What language was it? I don't know. Uh, Will we have this heavenly language? Will we have just this this shared common tongue of the saints? Maybe. Or maybe we'll know all the languages. That'd be cool. Uh, It won't be hard to learn. What we can say is there will be no division There will be no uh, disruption. Babel will be reversed, right? The birth of the nations came in the form of judgment. There is a reversing of that curse that brings us now together as one people, the saints, but at the same time preserves the glorious diversity that God has created and delights in eternally. So some from every nation, tribe, and language, specifically, it says... How this works, I don't know. But uh, you might want to brush up on your Spanish. It could be the one. You know, I don't know. Some people say it is. I kind of doubt it's English. Uh, English is weird. It's hard. What will our relationships be like? I remember uh, studying this with some guys in Bible school. Jesus says this, For in the resurrection they will neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And all the guys are like, "Oh man, we got to get married, bro. We got to get married before Jesus returns. Before marriage goes away, we got to we got to find a wife quick." In the resurrection, there is no marriage. So on the eternal uh, experience, on the new earth, um, you won't be married. Marriage is a temporal gift. It's a living, breathing illustration of the covenant love of of Christ for His bride, the church. So there is marriage in heaven in the sense that Christ is there and we are there, his bride. That's the only marriage. So there's no procreation. There's no uh, ongoing uh, prolification of people. There's no strollers in heaven, uh, right? No babies being born. We're all going to be roughly the same age, the age that's equipped, not limited in any way. And Randy Alcorn says it this way. God usually doesn't replace his original creation, but when he does, he replaces it with something that is far better, not worse. So you're not going to be up there in heaven being like, man, this is such a letdown. I was totally wanting to be married up here. No, I think that person who is joined to you in the covenant bond of marriage, who loves Christ, is going to be uniquely woven together. The mingling of souls we talk about down here. So a, a level of friendship we can't even imagine right now. Your children, yes. Your family, absolutely. All who are in Christ, recognized, yes. Together, absolutely. Hmm. Perfect love, spouse, family, friends, and then think how it goes on from here. Think of the love we have for one another here. That's the tip of the iceberg. The kind of sharing of life, the kind of joy, the kind of spending of time. And then this, hey, tell me your story. Tell me what God did. And the revealing of the wonders of his grace in stories of people that we meet, right? You run across someone and they're like, listen, you don't remember me. But when I was six years old, you taught my Sunday school class and that day God saved me. And, and you, never, you never knew this, but here I am and I just want to say thank you. Man, yes! Think of all of the discovery we'll have. And from there, maybe we'll be like, hey, Joshua, uh, let's go for a jog, right? Moses, let's go for a swim. I don't know. We're talking on an earth with real people. The saints of old. And we got plenty of time to hang out with whoever we want. The glory of God is the focal point of it all, but it is set on display in all of these relationships, right? It's not just that all we're going to do is be before His throne 24-7. We're going to want to be there as much as possible, but there's tens of millions of other things we're going to be able to do as well for His glory, delighting in Him and enjoying Him. The question came what about these mansions we hear about it feels weird to to think of a, a street of gold lined with all these gigantic mansions and people like out on the front porch like well i'm not married uh and there's no kids uh, there's no night so i don't need bedrooms like what do i do with this huge house it seems sort of weird to have a mansion right yeah i think it is i, I don't picture that at all Uh, Jesus said this, In my Father's house are many rooms. King James Version says mansions. I don't think that's the best translation. Rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What do we make of this then? Jesus is using Jewish wedding language. The son of the father would go and be betrothed upon the approval. But then he would say to his bride, listen, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to build out a wing on my father's house. When I get his approval, I'm going to return. And it's on. Wedding time. The bells will ring. And be ready. You don't know when he's going to give the green light. But I'll be back. I'm going to come and I'm going to take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And we will live happily together Forever, right? That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying there's plenty of room in the Father's house and I'm going to prepare a place for you. So wait for me. Trust me. Depend upon me. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. One big family together forever. Don't think this weird materialistic like prosperity gospel vision of gold streets and mongo houses all lining the road It just doesn't square with what we see coming on the new earth. What about animals and pets? This is a fun one to consider. Here's what I would say number one, animals don't share in the image of God, and as a result, I don't believe they have souls. I believe the image of God is uniquely connected and woven into the soul of man. And yet, God delights in his creations. I mean, he not only did the Genesis 1 just beautiful thing and, and had Adam name them, like parading his, his creations by. And Adam's like, that is amazing. Wow, look at what he, that's creative. Uh, but in Job, he brags about what he made. Like he, he says to Job chapter after chapter, hey, Job, have you considered the horse? You see that? You see his strength? Do you hear the noise he makes when he snorts? Guess what? That's my horse. I made that. That's my horse, Job. I love this of God. He delights in His animal creations. And it's got to be said that animals were, in a very purposeful way, preserved through the flood, through the judgment of the world. So when you think about the work of Christ and the cross, the wood, and the deliverance of the eight or the 800 billion saints, there is also some connection through the wood of the ark and the cross of Christ as it relates to the lifting of the curse even upon the animals. We know that animals will be part of the millennial kingdom on this earth. The lion, it says, will lay with the lamb. That's pretty crazy. Like The lamb was food. Now they're friends. Um, the child will play with the asp the poisonous snake. No more fear, no more danger. So there's like a disarming of the animals from the curse in the millennium. I think it's going to echo throughout all on the new heaven and new earth. Lastly, I would say this as it relates to your pet. God loves to give good gifts to his children. The question of will our little chihuahua, fallen as he may be, will he be with us on the new earth forever? I don't know, but God can, if He wants, He can bless you with your current pet. Redeemed, right? He's not going to bark at people when He's not supposed to or pee on the floor when He's not supposed to. Like, He's going to be a good boy, truly, forever. (laughs) If God wants to do it, there's nothing that would keep Him from giving you your pet down the road. So I don't know if they're going to be there. They don't, you know, God can do something specific to bring them there. But uh, that's what I would say on that. Now, add to that this. Will they talk? Will animals talk? you got to ask the question. When the serpent talked to Eve, she wasn't like, hold on, wait a second. That snake can talk. I'm out of here. That's weird, (laughs) right? No, it was no big deal. Like, there's a a talking snake. Okay, let's talk. What do you got? That wasn't weird for her. So, maybe in the garden there was some kind of conversation going on with the animals. We don't know. We know that God made Balaam's uh, donkey talk. That was definitely weird. That weirded him out. Listen to this verse in Revelation 5.13. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, so angels and, I would say animals, and under the earth and in the sea, And all that is in them, saying, speaking, what do they say? To him who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So it's possible that there will be a totally new dynamic in our interactions with animals on the new earth throughout all of glory. What will we do forever? I hope by now you're beginning to answer the question. Will we be bored in heaven? With absolutely no, right? The idea that in any way at all we would be bored running the 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 the, the fields of the new earth is just beyond me. A lot of people have asked me that over the years, and I'm just like, oh man, we gotta <laughs> look at this, look at what's coming. Boredom is gone. What will we do? Well, we will worship, my friends, unrestrained and forever. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and His servants will worship Him. Think of the singing of the saints alone. Just just singing. Think of the worship and the adoration to see His eyes with your eyes. To be able to come and hug him, and thank him, actually hold him, and embrace him. I can't wait. We will serve God, and we will rule with Christ. What does that look like? If we endure, we will also reign with him? I don't know. Uh, Somehow, maybe over the angels, some way or another. Uh, Maybe, because authority and submission are pre-fall realities, maybe the King of Kings, Jesus, will be... uh, enthroned over little kings and there will be some kind of earthly dominion and structure where we joyfully have authority and submission and and tasks and and missions to work out and who knows it's going to be awesome though we will judge angels paul says do you not know that we are to judge angels that's believers we will celebrate and feast together absolutely there'll be food on the new earth Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. Food was a big part of the garden originally, and it will be a huge part of our fellowship on the new earth. We will enjoy the perfections of life on earth with God. We will work, pre-fall gift, good, right? We will sing, we will tell stories, we will travel, why not? Remember, we have perfect recollection. We know how to build rockets. We know how to build cars. We know how to do all kinds of things. There's no reason why on the new earth we couldn't do the things that we currently do only without fear and with perfection. Why would we not want to explore deep space in a way that we currently can't? Maybe we'll have access to do these kinds of things in ways we can't even dream of right now. relax swim climb play sports you realize that when you play tennis with someone and you beat them you haven't sinned against them per se that i mean that's and you may have but there is a way to play tennis righteously and have a lot of fun with it who knows i'm not sure about golf but tennis yeah we will study our bibles because the word of god will never pass away Never pass away. Not a word of God's word will pass away. Think of studying your Bibles with the saints together and sitting and hearing Jesus expound on these words. Let me tell you what else was happening, guys. This was going on and then this and then this. And I said this. Man, talk about Bible study. Cook and eat. Enjoy hobbies. Who knows? Now, this question caught me off guard. This is the last one can we sin and mess this whole thing up i have never asked this question i was surprised by it honestly i never even thought of that i think it originates in the garden right like adam and eve god said it's good and look what happened so if it happened there could it happen on the new earth could i be like that guy that blows the whole thing and then future generations are like we were fine until jeremy Right? (laughs) Playing tennis. You know, can we mess it up? The answer is a resounding no. We cannot. I'll tell you why. We live in the sovereign plan A of God. He was not surprised by the garden, as I've already said. This was the plan. He unfolded the plan. And we are held in the finished work of Jesus Christ. His blood was shed perfectly once for all. We are in the security of the new covenant, in his blood. Listen to the new covenant described in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 11. God speaks this through his prophet. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. Totally new inclinations. A longing to obey. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. Jeremiah builds this out. Takes it a step farther. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. you see this? Everlasting. That I will not turn away from doing them good and I will put the fear of me in their hearts. Listen close now that they may not turn from me. So here's the reality. Before you met Jesus, you were able only to sin. When he met you, he set you free from the power of sin and the penalty of sin in Christ. Someday, when we are set free from the very presence of sin, we will no longer be able to sin. We won't be able to sin. We won't want it, nor could we if we did. That's pretty awesome. The new covenant. Jesus says, In my blood, do this in remembrance of me. Our response this morning. With this in view, as we plant our feet in this world right now, oh, what a contrast. How should this equip us for life this week? Well, friends, listen to how Paul thought of this. With all of this in view, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, right? We're feeling the the, the ravages of sin, not just out and around us, but in our own bodies. We are fading to glory. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then he it's like he surveys all of this mess in this world, all of his sufferings, all of his heartache, and he says, this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see what he's doing? He's holding up the tiny little amount of years we have on this earth against the unending pleasure and satisfaction of perfection that is to come and he is able to speak of this struggle right now as light and momentary that's my prayer that as we anticipate all of this we will say oh lord i want to persevere i cling to you i look forward to this day hold me purify me prepare me for this find me faithful So these things. Embrace King Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Worship Him now because you're going to forever. Serve Him now because in eternity you will. Obey Him now with all your heart. Proclaim Him to the ends of the earth and anticipate His return. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for these little glimpses of glory you've given. Thank you that this world is not all there is, that there is an entire future that far outshines and outweighs these short little years we have on this earth. Lord, we thank you that though our outer body is wasting away and we are fading and we are dealing with the decay of sin and death, We thank you that there is a life inside of us that cannot be touched, that is eternal and it's held by you because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. We look forward to the day. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come. Make all things new, we pray. Find us faithful as we wait, Lord. Help us to work hard while we wait for your return. We long for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.